0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard from all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the ah Naamathite; They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that I said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor let light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, Let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept and I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt the ruins or with the princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from trembling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter and soul who long for death, but it comes not and dig for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in for my sighing comes instead of my bread and my groanings are poured out like water for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes.
1: When I was in middle school, as a young boy, I attended a camp every summer called Northern Pines in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Holds was a special place in my heart. It was incredibly formative in my faith year after year, summer camp, Northern Pines. One reason in particular it was so formative was because of my small group leader at summer camp. His name was John Just. And John was an amazing guy, one of a kind. (laughs) Bulky, strong football player with an infectious smile, and a magnetic personality. John was the kind of guy who would walk on the campus at summer camp, and you could see kids dropping their toys and racing to just walk next to John. He had herds of students follow him just to to be around him. John showed me a a joyful way of following Jesus. I I was attached to him, I also became Attached and identified with uh, his summer romance that I got to see unfold at camp. As, As a middle school boy, I watched John Just court a Melissa who was known as Missy. And I later married a Melissa who's known as Missy. I loved her story too. Once Missy shared in a testimony some of her struggles earlier in her life. She was struggling with an eating disorder, and my sister at the time was also struggling with that, and I resonated with their honesty, their transparency, and the way they walked out their faith in trusting in Jesus. Summer camp, Northern Pines, formed my faith. I was so attached to John and Missy that when I left summer camp in Wisconsin, I actually started attending their youth group in the Twin Cities. Their youth group met, believe it or not, in a storefront in the Mall of America. <laughs> you could almost smell the perfume from Ambercrombie down the hallway, <laughs> wafting into the youth group. They were formative, my small group. Then, One youth group night, John was riding his motorcycle to serve at youth group. He had a patch of sand on an overpass. He was wearing his helmet, but he died. And a good man, really good man, died on his way to serve at youth group leaving behind his barely married bride to be a widow. What do you do with that? How how do you respond to suffering? It's disorienting, isn't it? I remember the the feeling of disorientation in that season of my life. And maybe you can relate to it too. Maybe you've experienced a season when the doctor called and he gave news that you weren't expecting. Maybe you've experienced incredible pain of loss. And I'm thinking even right now, I know some of your stories so specifically, it's painful. This isn't theoretical this morning. For some of you this morning, you're right now, that's your story. You're suffering. How do you respond to suffering? What do we do with that? Job was a man who suffered immensely. By the end of chapter two, Job had lost all of his possessions, though he had many. He lost his children, though he had 10. His own wife told him he should just give up, curse God, and die. And at this point, he's even lost his health. To the point that his three friends travel to see him at the end of chapter two, and they say he is unrecognizable. He's suffering immensely. What do you do with that? How do you respond to suffering? And then in Job chapter 3, after seven days of silence, not a word is spoken, Job opens his mouth and he responds to suffering. How does he respond? In a sense, Job has a complaint. I wanna argue today that Christians should complain when they suffer. Christians should complain when they suffer. Now, I'm not talking about, I need to qualify that word. If you bristle against that, you should. I'm not talking about grumbling, I'm not talking about whining, I'm talking about a form of complaint in the Bible that we call lament, godly lament. And I wanna argue that Christians should do that when they suffer, but I'm gonna qualify and and share with us today from Job 3 how Christians should complain. And I I wanna argue today that godly lament Godly lament is three things. Godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed. It's vertical, not horizontal. And it is an expression of faith, not unbelief. That's where we're going. Let's open our Bibles, Job 3. See it with me. How should we respond to suffering? Godly lament first is invited, not unwelcomed. What do I mean? Look at Job 3 with me. Job 3 is a poetic lament from Job in three sections. In verses 3 through 10, we see Job cursing the day of his birth. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, let the day... Perish on which I was born. Strike it off the calendar. My birthday, wish it didn't exist on the calendar. And then in verse 11 through 19, the next section, Job gives a reason for cursing his birthday, saying that it would have been better that he had never been born. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? And here's the reason, verse 13. For then I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept and then I would have been at rest. Do you hear agony in his voice? He's saying, my suffering is so immense, the peace of death would be preferable. Now, a caution here, Job in the rest of the chapters he will continually uphold the value of life he he is not contemplating suicide but he is grieving so tremendously that he is jealous and envious of kings and servants who are at rest they don't have to deal with grabbing pieces of broken pottery and scraping the boils on his skin Agony, pain, lament. In the final section in verse 20 through 26, Job begins to unpack this imagery that you'll see throughout the book of Job of light and darkness. Job questions why those who suffer so tremendously are given the light of life. Look at verse 20. He says, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Job is truly bitter in soul. He's suffering. And in Job chapter three, we see in the Bible an unfiltered response of a man who suffered greatly. There's no Christian polishing going on in Job chapter three. There's no makeup, there's no clean yourself up and show up to church and put on a brave face. There is raw, unfiltered emotion in Job chapter three. These are not religious words not Christianese, not cute mottos to try and get you through the day. This is a real man experiencing real suffering with a real response. And God in his wisdom includes it in his revealed word. Why? Why such unfiltered responses? I mean, we we got a lot of chapters coming up of lament in Job, buckle up. Why, why spend so much time on lament? Here's what's implied. When God chooses to include this kind of language in his revealed word, it implies that God actually invites us to lament. Now, I see that just in Job chapter three, but if it's an implication, if I'm saying it's implied here, there's not a clear command that I see in Job chapter three that says, you should lament. I gotta go to other scriptures. I gotta see, does the rest of the Bible support my hunch? And I find a resounding yes in the prayer book of the Bible. Go to the Psalms. 150 Psalms, you know the most popular category of Psalm? A third of them. A third of the written psalms are laments. Laments. Do you think that matters to God? Is that a priority? Why would God include laments in the prayer book of his people? The hymnal from the very beginning is songs of God's people crying out in their pain. You see, I find confirmation in the Bible that God actually invites lament Godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed. It's invited, let's look at one example. I could go to, there's there, a third of the Psalms we could look at, let's pick one. Psalm 142, you can see it on the screen maybe. Yeah, with my voice, with my voice I cry out to God. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord, I pour out my complaint. Complain. That's why I said Christians should complain. Christians should complain. I'm frustrated by those words, by the way. I wish that the Bible had neat categories for good complaining and bad complaining. I'm frustrated by the English language because I, ca- I have to say Christians should complain, but then I have to qualify it with all these things because we get the wrong idea with complaint, but the Bible uses the word complaint for complaining. And it uses it for good complaining and bad complaining, so we just gotta be careful there it is, complaint. Psalm 142. God invites complaint. It's not unwelcomed. It's not unwelcomed. That bristles against my reasoning. You see, I, I, don't think, I wouldn't think naturally that God would invite that. Shouldn't we just put on a brave face when we suffer? Shouldn't we be cheery? Wouldn't God be more honored by that? No, no, no. The God who chooses to reveal himself as he is, he actually invites complaint. How do you respond to suffering? Do do you bottle it in? Do, Do you try to ignore it? Do you, when you are in great suffering, for fear of admitting that it's real, you you just don't even say it. Because if you spoke it out loud, then you, you have to face the truth that this really hurts. How do you respond to suffering? How do you respond to suffering? Godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed. The laments of the Psalms, and in Job 3, give us permission for an honest response to suffering. True emotion, unfiltered in the full spectrum. You've got laments of confusion and laments of anger, laments of fear, and laments of sorrow, the full spectrum of human emotion and experience. There is no stoicism in Christianity. You're not meant to be a stoic. Emotions are a part of who we are, and God invites them. Christians should complain. Godly lament, I'm arguing, is invited, not unwelcomed. How do you respond to suffering? I I hear you thinking right now, he just said Christians should complain. (laughs) You've got a lot of reasons I'm wrong. And that's for good reason. You should be thinking that way. Because aren't you asking questions right now like Christians should complain? Come on. What does that mean, Zach? Do Do you just let it rip? Should we be a whiny people? Is that what we should be? Just crying out at all times? Is that what you're really saying? Are there really no qualifications to our lament? Just let it rip. No. No, I wanna take our cue from the Bible itself. If we're going to learn the language of lament, let's study the author of language himself, the one who gives words to godly lament. Here's why it's important for us to get this right. Let's just turn up the heat and uh, feel how important it is to get lament right. Lament has a couple different outcomes. Sometimes in the Bible, when Christians or, or followers of God lament, it is met with blessing, like in the Psalms. A Psalm of David, lamenting, blessing. Let me put your complaint in the Bible for us to read thousands of years later. That's blessing. Sometimes in the Bible, when people complain, it's meant with judgment. Judgment. You wanna give an example? Let's get scary. Let's go to Numbers. Numbers 11. One through two, God has rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, he has split the sea, he is providing manna for them, and the people complain. They complain. And how does God respond? Numbers 11, I got it on the screen, so you don't have to flip, but you can flip. You Test me, it's there, I hope it's there. 11, one through two. (laughs) And the people, look at this word, complained, in the here, I don't have it on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. Look at me. Numbers 11. <laughs> and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Whoa! Whoa! You have my attention. So some complaining is blessed, and some complaining leads to fire. I want to know what the difference is. I really do now. You have my attention, God. Christians should complain, but we should be careful. We should be careful. And it's interesting that, that even in Job, if we go back to our original main text, it seems that in Job, both of these are evident, both. God blessing his complaint and rebuking his complaint. Here's the two places I'll go to prove that. Job 42.7, notice the blessing of the complaint. I think maybe I have this on the screen. Yes, 42.7. Here's the blessing. At the end of Job, this is how God responds to the three friends who have bad advice. He says to the, the three friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Implication, Job has spoken well of me, including Job three. Good job, Job, right? So we should just copy everything in Job three, and that's how we lament. Remember when I said how hard Job is? Job's a hard book, because you can't just take it. You you can't print Job three on a T-shirt, not quite. Not quite, why? Because God rebukes some of what Job says says, look at Job 38, can't wait for this, Job 38. Who darkens counsel with wisdom? This is God responding to Job. This is one of my favorite texts. This is God saying, buckle up, Job. Pull up your britches, I'm gonna talk to you. And he rebukes him in response to what he said. So both, good job, Job, and bad job, Job. Which is it? In Job 3, this is where we need to go to other scripture to help us understand and apply Job 3 rightly. So I'm arguing, I'm arguing that Christians should complain and that godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed, but I need need two principles then. And here's our two other principles. First, godly lament is generally vertical, not horizontal. Vertical, not horizontal. What do I mean? Look at uh, the pattern of Job three, and you'll see that Job is complaining, he is lamenting to his friends. Remember the context, they're they're sitting with him for seven days and he breaks his silence? Job's complaint in Job three is primarily horizontal. He's complaining to people next to him. It is not in Job three Primarily vertical. Job is not complaining to God in prayer. He sometimes does later in Job, but much of his complaint is on the horizontal plane. This is significant when I read those one third of the Psalms that are laments, because those laments almost always are vertical, not horizontal. They're expressed to God, not to people. Two examples. Let's see, we're, we're comparing and contrasting Job three to the laments of the Psalms, and that's what we're doing. Let's look again at Psalm 142. I think I have it on the screen. Psalm 142, look at, listen to this, the lament. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord, not to my coworker. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord, not to my spouse when I come home and at dinner I've had a bad day. Are we seeing the difference? I pour out my complaint to my neighbors. No, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. Godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed, and it's vertical, not primarily horizontal. More qualifications. I'm not suggesting that there's never a place in your life for sharing your emotions and how you're feeling with other people. There's a place for this. But let's learn from the patterns of the laments that they are primarily vertical. How do you complain? Christian, how do you complain? Is it primarily vertical or horizontal? My suspicion, because you're a sinner like me, like me, grumbler, complainer, is that it's horizontal. Oh, how we want to be comforted by others. We want to be pitied by others don't we? How do you complain? How do you complain? At the very least, do your horizontal complaints come only after they've gone vertical? Have you even brought it before God? In Numbers 11, isn't it interesting that the people of God, it says they complained in the hearing of the Lord which is different than to the Lord. Did you catch that? (laughs) They complained in the hearing of the Lord. Did you know, fun fact, all of your complaining is in the hearing of the Lord? Every bit of it, and mine, isn't it? But very little of our complaining is to the Lord. Vertical, not horizontal. Godly lament is invited, not unwelcomed, and godly lament is vertical, not horizontal. But finally, finally, godly lament is an expression of faith, not unbelief. Look at Job 3 and we'll see something surprising. Job 1 and 2, the great tension in heaven and the bet that Satan is making is that if you make Job suffer, he will curse God. That's what Satan says. Make him suffer, he'll curse you, God. What's noticeably missing in Job 3, even though there's a lot of cursing? You're not going to find it in Job 3. Job never curses God. He doesn't. He curses the day of his birth. He complains that he lives. He questions how this world functions, that evil people continue to live on and good people suffer, but he does not curse God. Satan doesn't win. Not that bet. What's implied there? Even though this language in Job 3 is raw and emotive and he's experiencing horrible suffering, the the reality is he never curses God because he trusts God enough to not curse him. He trusts God enough to not curse him. We said at the beginning of this series, the whole reason we're doing Job is so that you would be a Christian who when you suffer, you would not curse God but you'd worship him. And Job doesn't skip to the punchline easily. You got chapter after chapter after chapter of the messiness of life, the raw wrestling match of a man who didn't get easy answers. He really suffered and he really struggled. But on the brink of life and death, he holds on to this thing I will not curse you, God. I trust you. I trust you. But I don't understand. Don't you see, godly lament is an expression of faith, not unbelief, and we see this over and over in the Psalms. Psalm 142, with my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy. This is the psalmist going to God and expressing that he's his hope, he's the thing he trusts in. Even Psalm 42, not Psalm 142, uh, is certainly an expression of, of trust in God. As the psalmist says, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Hope in God. I feel bad. You see, it's still vertical. I feel bad, but come on, soul. Come on, we trust him. This is the difference. So much of our complaining is the evidence an expression that we don't trust God. Not that we do. One example, one example, you uh, you're, you're complaining, you come home, you've been working harder and harder and harder at work. You're not getting a raise. It feels unjust. You're saying, I can't believe how are we supposed to make it in this economy. Oh my goodness. I've worked so hard. And you're just complaining and complaining and complaining in that moment. What are you expressing? You trust in me, in my effort, and what I deserve, or express in my employer, that's, that's what I trust. It is not an expression of, you know, this is hard and the budget's tight, but my God is my provider. Do you see the difference? Both are complaints, one expresses faith, the other expresses unbelief. How do you complain? Analyze a recent complaint. For for some of us, we won't have to look far back in history. Did it express faith? Did it show evidence that I trust God or did it express unbelief? I trust in something else. Godly lament is welcomed, it's invited, not unwelcomed. Godly lament is vertical, not horizontal. Godly lament is an expression of faith, not an expression of unbelief. And as Christians then we must ask this question. I want to race. I want to race. I want to race to Jesus. Did Jesus complain? Do you think Jesus complained? Okay, go to some other examples. Let's go to the best one. Matthew 27. The Son of God is hanging on a cross, having never committed a single sin in his life, yet bearing my sin in yours. And he says this. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament on the cross. Do these three principles stand in the example of Jesus? Principle one, is lament invited, not unwelcomed? Yes, if the Son of God can cry out in lament on the cross, surely, surely God the Father invites it. Principle two, is godly lament primarily vertical and not horizontal? To whom does Christ cry out to on the cross? Not as friends, but to God. Check. Principle three. Does Jesus' lament express belief, not unbelief? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ooh, hold on. That doesn't sound like faith to me, does it to you? You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like Jesus saying, where are you father? Where'd you go? Why'd you leave me? That sounds like unfaith, unbelief, a lack of trust, not trust, what's going on? This is Jesus on the cross. He is the the perfecter of our faith. Oh, so much hangs in the balance on this question. Do you feel the tension? What's the answer? And then we need to remember what Jesus was really saying. Jesus expresses lament to God, but in the hearing of others, many of whom were faithful Jews. And in an oral tradition, where many were illiterate, most needed to memorize portions of the Bible, just like the Psalms were songs, and you can remember the ones we sang this morning. Those Jews watching the cross as Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, would have remembered. He's quoting Psalm 22. I know that song, I sing it at church. And they'd remember the next verse they'd remember the next verse. They'd know that Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, a lament of David on the cross. Jesus himself lamenting at his most vulnerable moment. And he says this, this is what Jesus is saying. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no Rest. Same words of Job. I find no rest. Is there any faith? Any trust? And those listening that day at the cross would remember the very next verse of this song of lament. Verse 3. Yet, yet, you are holy enthroned on the praises of israel hear these words in you our fathers trusted faith they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried in laments and were rescued in you they trusted and were not put to shame oh how beautiful this moment on the cross Oh, how beautiful. Jesus hanging on a cross invites our lament by expressing lament himself. He goes vertical to God and not horizontal and he also expresses unwavering faith. You have been worthy of trust for our fathers. You will be faithful even through the cross. Oh, I'm an achiever, so I like checking boxes. And checking box number three. Oh, as I'm preparing a sermon, it's never felt so good. Yes, Jesus, yes, you do, you do. Even in your laments, Jesus, you express faith. Oh, now I feel like I'm standing on firm ground in how Christians should complain. Godly lament, it's invited, not unwelcomed, it's vertical, not horizontal and it expresses our faith, not our unbelief. When I was a middle schooler, I was disoriented by John's death. John Just, a good man, on his way to serve at youth group, dies wearing a helmet, on a motorcycle, leaving his young bride to be a widow. I'd not been to many funerals as like a 13-year-old, and I'd certainly never been to a funeral like this. Many people showed up from all over, out of state, all over the Twin Cities. People are just showing up in droves for this funeral. And I don't remember much about that day, but I remember one image. I see it in my mind's eye right now as if I was still standing there. I'll never forget this moment. I can still see it, I'm standing in the back of an absolutely packed worship center. And and at that moment, we had been invited to stand and sing a worship song, and I can see Missy's bright, blonde hair over to the left, near the front. And just from the side of her face, I can see Mascara and tears streaming down her face as she wept at the loss of her young husband, the love of her life. But as tears streamed down, something happened. Time slowed down and Missy's arms raised in worship. Every head in that room glanced over out of the corner of their eye and they watched they watched godly lament happen before their eyes in that moment for Missy the father was inviting her tears yes daughter cry out to me And in that moment, surrounded by people, her lament was primarily vertical to God, demonstrated in her tears, but her hands lifted. Oh, they showed an expression of faith. I trust you. I trust you. How do we respond to suffering? Invite us to learn the language of godly lament together that we may suffer well. Let's pray. Oh, Father. I've prayed, I've prayed often, and I pray it even now, Lord, that your spirit would be the one to do careful surgery on our hearts. Would your word be the tool to open up and expose, Lord, the layers of our complaint that does not honor you, but also expose, Lord, and open up a new pathway for us to be honest Christians hopeful Christians, vertical Christians who cry out to you in these moments. I'm praying for those that are suffering right now, Lord, that they'd run to you, run to you, the only ground, the only hope that we have. And Lord, help us, Lord, grow now in the language of godly lament. Thank you, Lord, for this gift, and help us run to you now. In Christ's name, amen.
0: That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.